of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host as always, Adela Marcy, and today we're always, as always, we're sponsored by purelyhosting.com forward slash Adela, where you can get your website built for you and get hosting for a whole year for a really good rate. Um, go ahead and check them out, because I use them for some of my sites, my clients use them, and hell, it's a pretty good place to get them from, because the, the uptime's good and the support's really, really good as well. Um, we're also sponsored today by BornToInfluence.com. We've got one of the lovely ladies behind BornToInfluence.com with us, Miss Esther Kiss. She's going to be joining us in a moment. Um, but yeah, anything else, we're going to jump straight in. Esther, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Wow, it's been like, I've realized it's been about this time, not this time last year, it was, what was it, November, December 2013 that we first started speaking. Yeah, thank God for Facebook that we can keep in touch in between. <laughs> Tell me about it. For the people that don't know, Esther actually was one of the first people that told me to start doing my podcast again. Because I'd started, but then I'd stopped. And um, she interviewed me for her podcast, Born to Influence. And I got some really great feedback from that. So if you haven't checked it out, head on over to borntoinfluence.com after this. And of course, we'll put links below this but tell us about yourself Esther because like I'm I've known you but I still it wasn't until recently I found out what you did so go ahead woman do your thing it's it's not entirely a fault because it's shifted over the years I've been in marketing since my early 20s so for quite a time quite some time now but um what I do is I have a podcast called Born to Influence where we interview very, very successful entrepreneurs about their marketing strategies. They're typically the New York Times bestselling authors or people who have built a seven or eight figure business most of the time. And um, so that's the promotional arm of my business. That's something that really I enjoy as well because it helps our audience tremendously because they get to take away very, very actionable strategies that really work in, in real life businesses. And they're not all online businesses. You know, we had some people who run seafood businesses and like all kinds of brick and mortars. So that, that's been really fun. And as far as client work, what I do is I help people who are in the expert industry, quote unquote, so speakers, coaches, consultants, uh, authors, online marketers uh, with their online marketing strategies. So I help them uh, get booked and podcasts and do interviews, do all their online PR, press releases, all that kind of stuff, and then also connect them with the right people. So if somebody, let's say, has a uh, book about to launch or an online home study course or something like that, then I'll uh, create a strategy for them and hook them up with JV Partners so that they can do webinars together and promote it that way to make more sales. Okay, so kind of like what you did with Ryan Levesque, right? Because he's got yeah. his book coming out quite soon. For yeah, the- yeah, he has the new book, Ask. It's launching next month in March and uh, we're working on his online promotions together that's pretty cool because Ryan was uh, one of our guests that we had previously I mean that guy's we've had so many downloads people loving his stuff and we're getting back on again because <laughs> well it's Ryan you know we have we have fun with him but that guy's so majorly booked it's crazy but he's busy yeah, yeah. so it's a, it's a good thing to have it's a good you know, it's so true because I do uh, because of the bookings I have uh, access to his calendar and literally everything is booked back to back so if your appointment starts at 10 30 then he has a previous appointment until 10 30. yeah literally it's you have one minute in between yeah. if that is just like yeah i'm ready to go bang and i was like dude <laughs> how are you so productive but it's down to his personality type and the guy is actually uh, a very good guy i mean for the people listening to this again i'm not harping on about ryan but he's a great guy to know um, especially if you can, especially now, because I think he's going to be a best-selling author with this book, really, in my opinion. Well, we are shooting for the New York Times list, so, you know, there is a lot of moving parts to it, and there is nothing guaranteed, but we'll try. 
Definitely. I mean, okay, fair enough. I understand you guys have, like, experts and stuff. How the hell did I get on that actual podcast is beyond me. Because just Okay, fair enough. Yes, I call myself the greatest copywriter. And yes, I know I've got, like, some very stiff competition in some places. But that that's you know it it's like on that podcast if you look at it i'm the greatest copywriter in my opinion of and a lot of people's opinions in that for that matter actually in my generation um because you know i've been doing this since i was 12 i'm now 25 so 13 years doing it most people are only starting out um but by saying that you have people like todd brown and all these other guys that i looked up to on this podcast and i'm like god damn it how the hell did i wrangle my way into these guys (laughs) isn't it fun to be in the playground (laughs) no sometimes i wonder how come i (laughs) i get to work with all these people and really not only interview them but then many of them actually eventually become clients and promote partners which is really really wonderful and it's just you know i i think we had a conversation in our mastermind group i don't know if you saw that post a little while ago with Dan Meredith, who is also, by the way, on Ryan's team, and he he is a copywriter as well. Good friend and as well. we were talking about this that when you reach out to people who it seems like they're light years ahead of you, they have a huge business, or you know they have this tons and tons of years of experience that maybe in an area that you're new to. Still, you gotta treat them as people. You gotta not be intimidated because that everybody either is a brown noser or is starstruck or whatever, usually when, when they come in contact with people who are looking up to them. And it's hard for them then in that way to be really open and to have a proper rapport and proper relationship. So if you can treat them as an equal person with just the same kind of fears and dreams and all that, you're good. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing I have noticed. It's how I managed to actually get people to come on this podcast and talk to me. It's I make fun of them. I make fun of everyone on this podcast. Anyone that's had this podcast before knows I make fun of people. It's it's just going to happen. And I apologize oh to you as well. Oh my goodness! <laughs> well, it's I've, you know you give me a little bit of bait. I've got to go for it. It's the stand-up comedian in me. It's just what happens. <laughs> but um, what I was going to do though, uh, what I was going to say was that you have like it, it's scary because you said earlier that you started in your early twenties, and my brain was like, "How old is Esther really? She's not that I'm old." I'm nineteen. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You're going back in Benjamin Button years. Yeah, that's pretty much how this one works. Um, but okay, so let's just jump straight into something I did want to ask you. With uh, was really kind of like with ideas of how you actually got connected with so many people. Because again, born to influence. That I remember that when you were first posting that in um, one of the Facebook groups that we were in, where you were asking for people to get on the actual um, roll call that you can actually reach out to. Where did that idea even come from? Because that podcast is like really popular. Well, I wanted to do a show forever, but before we launched, I didn't even know what a podcast was, to be honest. And I had a show that was not themed to a particular topic or any, you know, I I thought, well, I'm just going to be like Oprah. interview all kinds of interesting people and at the time I lived in Los Angeles I would go literally across town like dragging my lighting equipment and my camera and everything and do in-person interviews with people that were very very interesting meaning um, you know artists and photographers and real estate people and uh, actors and writers and it was really really fun but it had such a taxing uh, you know production uh, time and energy and money and everything that would go into it that it was just not sustainable. I'm like, okay, there's got to be a better way. And so I shelved it for a little bit. 
and then I uh, started talking with um, other people as I was growing my own consulting, marketing consulting business, which I was doing at the time, marketing consulting and coaching. And I'm like, hmm, I should do some more interviews myself. Where I'm the guest, where should I go? And then I came across Entrepreneur on Fire and a few other um, really popular podcasts. And I'm like, oh, I want to be on those. <laughs> and, and so we became friends with John because we did a, um, John Dindumas, the host of Entrepreneur on Fire, because I was on his show and then we did a uh, webinar for his community about what I do and all that and I'm like hmm, I kind of like this and so I asked his advice and if I wanted to do something like this online how should we go about it and we ended up doing something a little bit different because uh, Born to Influence is video based it's not just audio only but it does have a podcast version as well which is available on iTunes. Yeah I was going to say because I remember that being on video and it was just after I did Movember so I was still really hairy and stuff so <laughs> yeah so bad I mean right now um, you've seen what my profile picture looks like for the people that haven't I'll put it up at the end of this podcast and stuff and you guys could see it but um yeah, I, I did it. handsome. Thank you. I actually did. That was for a photo shoot, believe it or not. We actually did a full-on photo shoot for that day, uh, which Good. is why I look nice for once. I'm like, ah, I look nice. Woo. Let's do that. So um, as for like how you did that, that is crazy that you actually ended up do it, doing stuff with Entrepreneur on Fire because I really, I really want to connect with those guys because they seem really, really fun to work with. Um, and get them on the show. We may have to do that at some point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, right. So you've lived in LA and now, you, where are you right now? Is it Palm Springs or Palm Beach? Uh, it's close to Palm Springs. So it's Southern California, about two and a half to three hours out of LA, depending on traffic. And uh, it's in the desert. It's literally in the desert. <laughs> so oh, it's please. very, very quiet. It's old people only. It's super serene. And, you know, I used to, uh, people never believe me. Why did you move out there? There is nothing to do there because only country clubs, you know, and people who have second or third homes. It's, it's more like a holiday kind of area. And... Um, I just realized the other day I went shopping and there was this strip mall, you know, where you would go just to get your drag cleaning done and all those things. And the outdoor part where they have music, well, if you go to L.A., you will hear Katy Perry and all the modern pop stars. And here you hear Frank Sinatra all day long. <laughs> I guess they really kind of dialed in their entire, uh, you know, niche, so to say, in this yeah. area. That's kind of cool, though. I mean... Um, Sometimes it's nice to live in areas like that because remember, I think when we did my podcast, I was living in uh, Plymouth. Remember, mm -hmm. was, like right down in the south of England where it's near the beach. And just saying this for anyone that does live near Plymouth, I don't mean this in a hard way, but seriously, how there's so many white people there, it's crazy. Because I came from like a place where white people were a minority mm. um, in Leicester, like ethnically, like it was so ethnically diverse. And then you move to like Plymouth and you've it's like you don't see a brown person every day. You see one like every so often. I remember when I was there, it became a game of uh, it, like if I saw a brown person on the street, I would literally at the time um, I'd tap my ex on the shoulder and be like, "Look, there's another brown guy. Look, there's another mm -hmm. brown one." It became that game for such a long time. It was so much fun. But then I moved to London, so it was always good. But with regards to you, sometimes you need to take a step back and move to places that no one really knows why and i don't i don't even know what your reason like do you even know what your reason to moving to palm springs was or do you just do it because you're like i just want to move there well i i had to move anyway in la and i wanted to move to some place that was just quiet and it's very very difficult to find something that doesn't have that energy 
that is all that buzz, you know, let alone the literal noise of airplanes and sirens and everything, no matter where you're in LA. But it's just, you feel the hustle and bustle of the city. And I've been there for seven years. And this is probably the longest place I ever lived in as an adult, even probably as a kid, because I lived in six other countries before I moved to you know, to um, the US. And so I'm like, well, it's really time to go. So I started looking at Orange County and Valencia, which is north of LA. And I'm like, well, I can't go west because there's the beach and the north is cold. The south is a little bit, it feels very, very suburban. Let me see a little bit to the east. And so I started looking and <laughs> Palm Springs seemed to be like, well, it's good. <laughs> so I came out here a few times and I liked it. Yeah, that's actually the best way to go. And I'm going to guess you had this as well, where people have actually asked you, why Palm Springs? Why did you move there? There's nothing there and stuff like that. You had like maybe some people say that to you. Um, oh, you know what? I, I had my mastermind meeting just last week. And uh, one of the guys who um, just found out that I moved here, he he grew up in this area. So he totally didn't believe that there was no agenda. It's like, okay, what's his name? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's actually uh, crazy because you'll get that. And just, an, just a lesson for anyone listening to this, that's something that you're going to get, not in just business, but in life. People are going to qu- constantly question why you do things and make stuff up. They just are because they need it. But the good news here is that you'll never always know if that if that makes sense. You, you won't know the reason until you get there most of the time. It's kind of like mm. when I get asked why did I move to Plymouth, I'd make some something up. But... The real... You don't need to. The thing is, it's like, well, oh, it felt right. Yeah. I stopped justifying anything to anybody. Because yeah. sometimes you can't. And sometimes you don't even know your reasons. I mean, you do feel that it's right. But you may find out, like, years later that, oh, that's why that was necessary at that time. Yeah, like, um, that's one thing I found out. I came to terms with mine quite quickly. It was because uh, when I trained at the local gym down there, I fell in love with Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And mm-hmm. the guy that actually taught me and teaches me still, um, Kenny, uh, Kenny Baker, you know, anyone that wants to check out stuff down that site, just give him a quick shout out from zenofbjj.com. Um, I ended up working with him on his site and on his business. Mm-hmm. The guy's like such a cool guy. Like, it's funny because he's friends with um, a couple of UFC fighters like Conor McGregor and Gunny Nelson. Gunny Nelson and him are actually like best friends. It's so, so surprising because... Um, you know, he gets on well with everyone. He's, he means well. So I, I didn't realize this until I got there. But again, me sidetracking there entirely. But I want to know one thing about you, though, Esther, because I've noticed this with you. Um, you end up in so many mastermind groups that I'm in. Like, how, how is that even possible? It's like more than anyone else that I know that you and I are in the same mastermind groups. I'm following you. <laughs> Stalker, I knew it. it it's my goatee, isn't it? It's true. (laughs) No, I don't know. It's true. We ended up in quite a few groups together. And um, I think I actually invited you to Ryan's group, but you knew Ryan already out of time. So you probably ended up there anyway, regardless of me mentioning it. Um, I think it tends to be where people with similar interests and and people who work with the same type of clientele end up participating in the same groups. Yeah, that's that's pretty true. I've not actually heard from... um, Oh my god, I can't remember your business partner's name. Uh, yeah, you, you probably might know her as Meta Miller, and she That's actually it. recently changed her name legally. So her name now is Madeline Avon um, Miller. So she kept her last name, but not the first names. Wow. How come she changed her name? Um, 
if it's you know i don't know how the exact procedure was because she lives in in uh, denmark so i'm not sure exactly what the technicalities are but i know that she decided and then she had to do some registration in the naming office or whatever that is and then change all her documents passport and tax stuff and all that stuff and now that's her name madeline wow that's that's kind of cool and crazy at the same time. Just like, it's so... <laughs> we did an entire episode about it on our show on Born to Influence. She actually shifted her business quite a bit recently. She works now more with creative professionals, whereas before she was uh, more of a generic marketing consultant. And she really focused and narrowed her niche into people who have creative offerings. And so we talked about that and, and why it, she felt like they there was a need for the name and also what it entails, you know, how people react to it, because that's something that some people will say, okay, cool. And other people, especially if they're closer to you, like your family, they have a hard time adjusting. So, and, and then the other thing is that she actually um, left our show. Uh, we are still good friends, but because she has all these new projects and, and everything else going on uh, for season two, I'll be hosting solo. Oh, that's cool. I mean, well, you hosted most of them. You hosted the one we did, and of course, I'll, yeah. So that's quite cool. I'm probably gonna jump back on your podcast at some point, just like you know, weasel my way right in there. Oh, no, please do. Yeah, <laughs> it's always fun. But um, so yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. Like just the way that works, because she's. I've got to like speak to her again because she's from like she lived in Tanzania. Well, Kenya was it or Tanzania? I can't remember. She lived, Tanzania. Yeah, she lived in yeah. Tanzania, and I'm from Tanzania, so it's you know quite nice to meet someone else from down that area. I remember you both speak the language. Yeah, it's kind of cool because we never actually got to speak, unfortunately. So um, that's something that's I've got to do a reach out to her and see how she's doing. But um, wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Okay, so I've got to ask you this because you obviously English is not your first language, is it? No, it's Hungarian. Well, okay, so speaking to um, people that have actually come over from other countries to have to learn language, because, again, even though I'm a copywriter and marketing consultant, English is my sixth language. It's the one mm-hmm. I use primarily, but it's my sixth language. What was your d- most difficult thing learning English and, like, you know, making it more of an everyday thing? Well... I started learning English when I was four years old, so I can't say that it was really something very, very foreign to me when I moved away from Hungary, but um, I wasn't confident in it at all. So, you know, when I first moved away from the country, I was like, I was in fifth grade, 12 years old, and we moved over to Romania, which is just the country next door, and I went to Hungarian school there. They have a huge Hungarian population, but some of the kids, the neighboring kids didn't speak any Hungarian, so we would use English to communicate. And so I kind of grew up with that, being able to manage, but when I was 18 or 19 years old and it was time to really decide what I want to do next, I thought, well, I really, really want to act. I want to be in the movies, and I'm like, I don't speak English, (laughs) even though it's been like 15 years by then. I'm like, I can do this. So I completely put off that huge dream for, gosh, for about eight years. I didn't do anything about it. And now I went to business school and did the marketing and, and did all that stuff without even thinking that I could possibly ever be on stage or ever do any movies just because I didn't feel like I was good enough. Wow. Okay, so why, like, how come you're not taking up acting again? I mean, you you are good at what you do. 
Yeah, I, I love acting. I did it. So eventually, seven years ago, I ended up moving to um, to LA and I went to an acting conservatory, did a few movies that nobody's ever heard of. And, and I absolutely love it. I love the craft. I love the creativity. But the lifestyle of an actor is so not fun. It's very grueling that it's, you know, unless you're already in demand, and unless you're really willing to put in the uncertainty of years and years of possibly never making it, it's it's very taxing because you don't have any control over your schedule. So it could be that, hey, be across town in 30 minutes and be ready and look good and, and know your lines and all that. And then you may or may not get the part. But even if you get it after your audition, it's... Um, like let's say we were talking about you being the only brown person, right, in in, uh, in the city that you lived in before. Well, imagine being cast exactly like that based on your looks. And let's say in my case, I I would play the Eastern Europeans. <laughs> I would be in a room full of girls that kind of look like me with the light eyes and the darker hair and light skin, and, uh, kind of the same kind of uh, you know high cheekbones and all that, and having the accent. And that's the the um, basis of of actually getting an audition. Then comes your talent and your performance, and then they'll see whether or not they actually you match the other actor in the scene and uh, you know the overall project. But even then, even if you do get a job very often they cut that part or they cut that role. And so you have zero control over you having spent all this time on it, whether or not you will actually get paid. Wow. Yeah, I actually, that sounds a lot like an entrepreneur. Mm. That, that pretty much well, no, I disagree. I disagree because you have more control there. If you do your ads right and, and your copy is good and your messaging is good and your targeting is good, you can make it fairly predictable and you know what your money will be with acting you have zero like even like to, let me give you another example let's say if you were hired by coca-cola or whoever right doing a big commercial um if they were to air that commercial for the next year maybe and you played in it maybe you'll make whatever eighty thousand dollars but if they pull it after a couple of weeks you were paid only for that little bit of time because they pay residuals based on how often it gets played and whether it's nationwide or global or whatever it is you know so it could be anywhere from just a few hundred dollars to almost six figures and that's a huge difference yeah I mean, it is a definitely a huge difference. But I mean, like, in the sense of, like, someone that's just starting out as an entrepreneur, it's very, very similar when you start out as an actor until you actually start to get it um, for people. Because there is, there is highs and lows of being an entrepreneur, Yeah, yeah, obviously. yeah. I mean, there, there always, there is no such thing as certainty. You just got to embrace it. Yeah. It's the, I think it's the human condition, like, how we're basically brought up to think there is certainty. I mean, if you really look at how it works... The job market didn't really exist until the 1900s. Prior to that, everyone just had a profession. Mm. And that was it. Yeah, but then you were also, you didn't expect anybody else to take care of you, so you would just go for it. Yeah. Um, it's so, so weird how, like, it, it, when I look back at it, how it all plays out, because um, schooling systems as well didn't exist until, like, that time for, like, everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking we're better off. <laughs> oh yeah, tell me about it, cause like um, I'm gonna go on my soapbox of weird conspiracy theory. So guys, I apologize, but it, it makes <laughs> sense for entrepreneurs. You guys will understand. It's crazy talk adult time, but uh, I'd say this much: like the whole, if you look at it, schooling's really nothing more than just a training system for people to go through in order to get jobs. Because I think the first person that actually created the schooling system, I can't remember his name. Uh, I know he was close to the Rockefeller family and the banking families at the time, and he said, well, 
you know, why don't we implement this um, learning system where we can train children to actually, you know, not have a profession, work from their own home, do the, not from their own home, but have a profession of their own skill and end up working for us for a meager wage compared to what they could do if they did it on their own. Um, and they, the first argument they put it was, uh, I don't think we'll be able to do that within one generation. He goes, no, you won't be able to do it within one, but by the third generation, you should be able to actually completely have the entire populace brainwashed into believing this is the only way. Mm. Um, it's the same with like the whole cannabis thing. Like, I don't know if you know about the story of how marijuana actually got its name. Because no. prior to it, marijuana wasn't actually called marijuana. It was just known as the hemp plant. Okay. Um, it wasn't illegal until the, 18, the late 1800s because hemp was being used for more and more things, including like the Bill of Rights. I think that's it. The Declaration, no, it was Declaration of Independence was written on hemp paper. Uh, still is, by the way. And um, the paper mill was actually about to go out of business. And the guy that owned the paper mill also owned some of the newspapers. So he ran some bogus bullshit story about how um, a black guy and a Mexican guy um, had got high on this plant called marijuana, uh, and I think it was either killed or raped a white girl or something like that. It was something really, it was made up. It was really made up, and, um, you know, people started getting scared because that, then you can use fear-mongering for everything. Uh, and they did, and they just outlawed it instantly. Mm. And because the ban of hemp, that basically meant that uh, there was no more, um, what's it called, they couldn't act like, because hemp was outlawed now, people, like the guy that owned the newspaper was like, I can keep my paper mill. But then again, that comes down to a very, very good marketing lesson if you look at it in the own way, as in, um, you know, how do you come up with something? You go ahead and put it out there, say it's something else, and get people to believe it. And then it becomes Well, wow, hopefully it's something based on more integrity. <laughs> Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, like, with the yeah. internet, obviously, that's the level playing field is the internet. Just, you know, you can verify all facts and stuff. But um, I can't remember who it was they were speaking to, but someone said that uh, it was a book I was reading on illnesses. Right? And they said that most people that come to them, like, come to doctors, say that they're actually ill. But in reality, it's a dramatization of what's really happening. And um, ADD, dyslexia, all this other stuff that we now have pills for and medicine for... Um, was all invented by a copywriter in a marketing firm that wrote it out for you and told you this is what we're trying to sell. That's funny. All right, so I'm just not going to believe anymore. <laughs> not that I get sick, but you know. <laughs> yeah, so it's actually ridiculously crazy um, what to like what goes on and stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's... That's really crazy. I mean, sorry, I'm just trying to take it all in, trying to remember what this book is. It's going to annoy me until I figure it out later on, but Aww. we'll get to it. <laughs> it anyway, will come to you. Back to you, because seriously, this is like the most awesome thing. So I love talking to you uh, about stuff. Because you have like two cats now? Is that two? I do, and maybe one more. <laughs> you have a third? Oh my God, you have to tell me. Like, I have three, yeah. Okay, which ones now? Uh, did you always have three or did you have two? Because I remember you had two yeah. last time. No, I had three. I think when we talked, I had three. I'm pretty sure. Actually, yeah, because if we already had the show, I definitely had three. These three were babies. And, you know, I went to the pet store not with the intention of getting any pets at all. I just I had, I just wanted to see what they had. 
and they had this cute cute little kittens they were so sweet and so two of them were so little scruffy and they were like tiny tiny little babies just like four or five weeks older but they didn't have a mommy so they were there and they were bottle fed every hour or whatever how often they had to be fed and um so they really just touched my heart I wanted to get them and then the third one when I uh, was going to take them out, you know, and just pet them a little bit and play with them, the third one started to reach out from the cage next to them. And it was like kind of like reaching his little paws out. And then the lady came up to me at the pet store and she told me that, you know, this little guy, he was found on a rooftop and he couldn't come down and he was crying like crazy. So people took him down and took him in here. So <laughs> after that, I couldn't leave him there. <laughs> and so his name now is Mr. Rooftop. He's RT for short. Is that why you called him RT? Yeah. So you never told me the story before. So what are the other two called? Yeah, Scruffy and Silky. And that's just because of how they are with their skin, with their fur, you know. Because Scruffy, when when she was very, very young, she had this huge rough patch on her skin and on the back. I don't know what it was, but her fur was so rough, it was like completely worn out and it didn't look like it was going to change at all. And so I thought, okay, Scruffy. <laughs> Your name is Scruffy. It's funny because, like, um, well, you know, I've got my cat Chase with me, and it's yeah. funny because, like, I don't name cats based on uh, I I based them on personality. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I don't know if you remember, I had three kittens. Like, Chase and Amber gave birth to three kittens. Yeah. Uh, but you know, my ex she has Amber, and I have um, I have Chase. But they're three kittens, like uh, Thor, uh, Sable, and Cookie. I didn't like the name Cookie. I actually wanted to call it something else, but. She looks exactly like Chase. It's like a gal version of her, of him. So like, Cookie, because you look like a chocolate chip cookie, really. <laughs> um, Thor was, and I'm not going to say the reason why. I actually, I will probably tell you the reason why I said Thor. But um, for a kitten, he had really big nuts. Like his his testes were huge. I was like, he's swinging a hammer, so his name is Thor. That was <laughs> oh literally that was the literal thought process behind calling him Thor. <laughs> and then Sable was just Silva. I was like, she, her name's Sable. But Chase got his name because the first day I met him, he did nothing but chase me. That's literally, funny. Literally ran around the cattery chasing me no matter where I went. I was like, okay, your name is Chase. <laughs> He's actually got his own Twitter page, believe it or not. Oh, okay. Mine has too. RT has his own Facebook page. <laughs> no way. Please don't. Yeah. Is it RT Kiss? Uh, no, well, the vet calls him that. I just call him Mr. Rooftop on the Facebook page, but really, his name is RT. <laughs> RT Kiss. That's quite funny because that just sounds like RT Kiss, like, you know, he's artistically kissed. Oh. <laughs> you know, who knows? Well, always... you know, I have a friend, um, I think you might know him, my friend and client, Ben Simkin, and he has a dog called Pepper, Pepper the Westie. And they created a Facebook page for her. Very, very cute, little fluffy, little white dog. And um, Ben is a Facebook marketing expert. I mean, he literally is called a $900 million marketer because he's an expert in lead generation. And that's how much he was able to create for his clients and himself in sales. And so uh, he used his skill of being able to do Facebook ads well for the dog page for a competition because Virgin was, uh, the airline, was looking for a pet ambassador. Mm-hmm. And so he was advertising the dog's pictures and everything for people to vote in the competition. And he won, or I mean, I should say the dog won. <laughs> so now he's the official pet ambassador of uh, Virgin uh, Australia. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow, that is crazy. I've got to speak to uh, Ben at some point because he'll be great to actually have on here as well because, um, well, you know who Scott Rurick is, right? No. Uh, what's his surname? Ben? Simkin. Okay, there he is. Yeah, Queensland, Australia. Got him. Um, but what I was going to say was it's funny because Scott is actually known as the $100 million man because he mm. raised like 100, he made 100, like he spent 100 million on ads in literally one year. Mm-hmm. Um, he he lives in California. I'm surprised you actually don't know him. I'll have to do an introduction for you guys. Really, no, really you. funny guy. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt as well, but he's hilarious. Mm. Known him. For, uh, he was actually there the first time I spoke on stage. Can you believe that? Oh, that's how we met. Was I spoke on stage? I had no idea who who he was. We got talking a week later. Next thing I know is this guy's like some great, like amazing advertiser. I'm like, holy crap! You're the guy that gets invited to Facebook for tea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's insane yeah that's just so cool but it's crazy like how little things like that can actually blow up so quickly yeah 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 so anyway for just as far as fame pages if you know what you're doing with it from a marketing perspective it, it can actually be something really really cool like like what they did with pepper but for me i i, I haven't done anything for rt's page so i think he has like 10 fans <laughs> I might actually be his 11th soon. I think I'm going to do that after this podcast. Just head on over there. Just be like, hey, check it out. All right. And send me the link to your uh, cat's Twitter page, too. I need to follow. <laughs> By the time like this podcast go up, because like, I've still got to set it up, I think it's going to be at Chase the Cat or at Chase Barrington the Third, because his actual full name on his birth certificate that I wrote was Chase Barrington the <laughs> Third. I, I wanted to have a, have a really regal name. I wanted it to sound posh. It's it like, does. <laughs> what's your name? Chase Barrington the Third. Meow. It's like yes, you are cool. <laughs> but he's. But it, yeah, I mean, um, as a mark, I'm actually putting him in my. Uh, I'm doing a video for a book I've got coming out. Um, I, I'm writing a book very very soon. Uh, that's not marketing. It's it's a detective thriller. Ah. Um, it's really really nice. You know, easy kind of thing going. Um, he is actually inside the actual book. He's one of the, he's one of the, the one of the characters named after him. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's a little wink to people that actually know about him and people that listen to my podcast. Like, you named a character out of your cat? Yes, I did. I'm, I'm that sad. (laughs) It's not sad. It shows dedication and love and care and compassion (laughs) and And pride. (laughs) And the fact he's adorable. Yeah. He's just so cute. Um. But yeah, I still say that he's my wingman. I don't know about you. I don't know if you use RT for guys, but like, I, I use Chase as a gauge for like, um, if I'm going to date someone. You know, oh, yeah? if, if they if they meet him and he likes them, I know I've got his nod of approval, which means they're actually a nice person. I should really give them a chance. Whereas if uh, he runs away from them, I'm like, okay, there's something that's annoying him about them. <laughs> I better, like that. I better, need to consider that. <laughs> well, I think the best the cats are the best cats and babies. They're the best judgments of character, in my opinion. If uh, mm-hmm. especially for guys, like if a girl, like as you as a woman, um, meets a guy and he meets your pets, if your cats hate him, that there's a reason. Like um, I remember there was uh, a friend of mine told me once that cats are uh, how a man behaves, or like how a man behaves around pets is um an indication of how we will be as a romantic partner like she has that as a rule like if we cannot get along with my cats or my pets yeah i mean that i think that that is very very fair because if you know if there's anything 
to be serious. I mean, how can you have somebody around who doesn't like your little babies? No way. Mm-hmm. Tell me about it, right? It's always interesting. So, okay, I've got to ask you this one because uh, you're awesome at these, and I like to do this because it's always fun. I've got, <laughs> I just have the uh-oh here. I feel like I'm being put on a spot now. You're being put on a spot. Ta-da! Sorry, I just need, like, a magic game show vibe here. I can do this. Oh, it's all like, right. spot down. I don't know. Awesome really yes, crazy Yes, I did. I'm ready. <laughs> Let's go. Okay, so basically one of the cool things that we like to do on the show is always have people um, share three things that they would do and in depth. Uh, for advice to people that are actually going from either struggling time to becoming successful or how to keep like a positive upbeat attitude about stuff like I'll give you an example we had um, someone once share like three things they would do to help amateur copywriters get to the pros I think Ryan talked about what to do with how to understand business now let's see what Esther the PR queen could do let's let's do it for authors let's go with authors because I know they listen to this show like people want to be authors so we'll do a tip on what it takes to get good PR that's one we'll do one on mindset and because you used to be an actress and you know like about the mindset of actually having to hustle like crazy to get what you want to be and do and the third I don't know I'll let you pick the third you surprise me all right so the first one about PR well I can give you a couple of tips on on getting uh, PR appearances but what I also do want to say is that in and of itself, an appearance will not make a difference. So not only you have to keep consistent at it, but it's not so much about the traffic, that, that little tiny spike in traffic that you will get from, let's let's just say we talked about John Wright from Entrepreneur on Fire. He just reached a million downloads for the first time in a month. So if you get on that show, it's a pretty good amount of exposure. But... Still, most people listen to podcasts uh, while they are at the gym or doing something else. Or, and it's just generally, even if they read an article or whatever you happen to be, it's something that is not necessarily where people will have to definitely drop everything and go to your website to check it out. So where the real value of PR appearances or media appearances comes in is how you use it in your marketing. So you'll be able to put it into your webinar warm-up sequences or your follow-ups or just put it on your website to have it as trust builders. A lot of my clients run ads to their appearances because even if it's on the uh, on the website of the podcast host, because that way they get to borrow the credibility. And so um, one of the best things that you can do is really look at it as building assets and how can you use that then in your marketing. And then as far as how to get it, I mean, just be considerate of what shows you're applying for and listen to it, pitch yourself accordingly, know that it's something that you would be a good fit for. If you can get an introduction to the show host, that will always get priority. Um, as far as timing, because we are talking to authors, if you have a book let's say launching in two to three months, then the time to start promoting it is now because it takes that long. For smaller shows, it might be like two or three weeks only to actually air your interview, book it and air it. But for something like, like for example, Entrepreneur Fire, it's going to take three months to, to just record it and then another month to air it. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind that you need some lead time. Yeah. So that's good. All right. That's, that's awesome. Okay, let's jump to number two, which is uh, mindsets and dealing with like tough positions i know this one's gonna be a little bit longer but let's see esther let's see tough tough as far as pr or tough as far as just in general what was that tough in pr or tough in general no i mean like um mindsets as in like you know how to just in general like you know life's gonna throw you a lot of curveballs 
So, you know. Yeah. Um, well, I interviewed uh, somebody a while back on my show, and it was he talked about how nothing really can be lost. Like there is nothing that can hurt you because security and safety is an illusion. And we talked about it a little bit anyway earlier. It's there. It's not like let's say let's just say you have a certain amount of money in the bank. If you were to lose it tomorrow, well. You still had to make money whether or not you had that savings. You still were relying on your own self being able to bring in income on a regular basis. So nothing had really changed. And and because nothing can be guaranteed, just just have that as an acceptance, as a be okay with it as much as you can. Um, and, and just take everything just from that place of, well, if anything comes my way that is good and expect the good stuff because that's so important to, to be lucky you you gotta be you know positive about things and expect good things to happen, but but consider it as a gift and the, being grateful and and uh, having that attitude of well that's a nice additional thing besides what I would put in hustle wise, then you will see it as a bonus rather than being entitled. That really really helps. That's pretty awesome. That's extremely awesome actually. I'm gonna add to that and just say one of the big key things I've actually noticed and. Um, Two actually things I actually do now is one, anytime things go quote unquote wrong, uh, I scream out plot twist. <laughs> it's really weird uh, and everyone looks at me weird when I do that. So I actually do this in like, like if I get an email from someone, they're like, yes, this contract's been cancelled. I was like, holy crap, I was really looking out for that. It's like, contract's been cancelled. I literally just scream out plot twist and go on with my day. And I get so many weird looks. Yeah, why? Let me let me tell you something. I I have a, an example here. I uh, somebody reached out to me. They wanted to do a project that is. I'm not an expert in it. They wanted to uh, have something transcribed and and put it into direct mail. So I needed to find a copywriter and transcriptionist and all that stuff. I mean, I have the resources and team for it, but it's not something that I would be able to do myself. However, as it comes as extra money, I look at it as an extra opportunity, not like something that well, I'm not going to do it because you know it's not my expertise. If I can outsource the whole thing, now so we did a project for him. He loved it absolutely, but it turned out to be a situation where. Um, the amount of work that was involved took a lot more resources from the people who were actually doing the work. So he loved it. We didn't charge him anything extra, even though it, it didn't turn out as good and as profitable as we wanted it to be. Um, but the second time around, he came back and he's like, hey, can you do something similar scope, a little bit of a shorter project? And it became more expensive because of the experience that we just had. And so... You know, he was like, well, how come that it's a shorter piece and yet it's more expensive? So I just had to tell him. But when I asked my vendors and, and the team that is working on it that, hey, uh, you know, this is what he said, because I knew already when they gave me a higher price for, for uh, the estimate to actually do it, that it's going to be a question. Um, my vendor said, that, well, let's just drop it. Let's just drop the price. And I'm like, no, he just, he understandably asked why, but it's not like he asked for a discount. So just being able to stand on your own value and knowing that this is what it's worth, I just, you know, wrote him back and told him that this is what happened. We actually ended up putting a lot more effort into it than what we thought it would be. And so let me know if you would like to do it. Otherwise, we can just do a straight uh, transcript without any formatting. And that's an option as well. So he ended up doing the job or giving us the job. So 
you know, another another thing that I I just coordinated. That's another thing too, too. Just just for people who are listening here, if you, anything comes your way that you don't have any, not any, but you don't have particularly expertise in, but you know people who would do a really really good job, don't be afraid to take it on. Because if you have a reliable source and circle of people who can help you, you put a little bit of a margin on it and you make extra money and all it takes is a few emails. I agree entirely. The other one, um, it's, oh my God, what was the other thing? The, the second thing I've been doing again with that is um, this mantra that was given to me, which is nothing is permanent. Hmm. I mean, it's so crazy because like, uh, the person that told me this is 46 years old. Uh, so he's got 21 years on me and uh, he said this to me and he goes I, and it's the funniest thing ever because like I always say this this is my personal tip for you guys um, convene with people that are older than you in some sense or another because here's the interesting thing they will see things that you can't see because you're in too deep yeah. like you'll think that you're a big player in one area they'll look at you and go you could be so much bigger in another area and you don't even see how wide the field is. You just see mm. what you think you see. And um, that's my tip. Hang out with older people and know that nothing is forever. And of course, Esther, you just gave some crazy good tips right there on like how you can make more money just by simply you know, outsourcing and being the middleman, really. Well, woman. yeah, but but that's the thing, though, that it's you got to have the confidence that the people that you're giving it to can do it. So I wouldn't recommend just taking on any random job if you don't know how to go about it and hiring somebody on Fiverr. This was something that needed quite some high level of expertise in copywriting because of the combination of things and, and you know, eliminating redundancies and everything. So it was a lot more than just a straight transcript, which I originally thought it was going to be, you know. So if you know that you have the right people, and that's, that's all really it is. I mean, in any area of business, having the right connections, then why not? Yeah. I mean, that's very, very good. Um, awesome. So, that would be your, like, so would that be your third tip? Or have you got one more for us? Um. <laughs> well, we can make that third one. I mean, that's cool, because that was actually a really good tip, so. Okay, all right, sounds good. Because <laughs> I said the third one could be anything you want it to be, and just, yeah. that would be cool. All right, so, guys, uh, check out Esther's site. Again, Born to Influence Season 2 is coming out very, very soon. Super excited about that, and... Esther, couldn't thank you more than enough just being here with us today because uh, it's been fun, had some good laughs. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Yeah, very much. Thank you so much for having me. I hope to have you back on another episode later on in the future. And um, yeah, guys, check out his stuff. Make sure you go through this podcast again because there are some real hidden gems in there. Of course, the tips are always amazing. Uh, check out borntoinfluence.com. And as always, we're hosted the show by... Uh, purelyhosting.com forward slash Adel. Go there. Check your stuff out. It's been fun. See you guys on the next episode of Adel and Marcy Unplugged. Thanks for being here.